0: Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to the Team Success Podcast. I am thrilled today because I have one of my really, really good friends and strategic thinking partners and strategic coach clients with whom I love, love, love talking leadership, and that is Kent Pilcher. So I am very excited for you to hear Kent's perspective on his business, what their growth has been, which, by the way, is spectacular, and how he really approaches leadership and leadership development in the context of an entrepreneurial organization focused on construction. So anyway, I can't wait to share the story and the mindset because in my evolution as someone who is passionate about entrepreneurial teamwork as an entrepreneurial team strategist, I have learned so much from Kent. So Kent, I'm thrilled that you could join us today because I've learned a ton from you. We have great collaborations together and I've really loved working with your team and I just am excited to bring this to an even wider audience. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Awesome. So I've already introduced Ken as being one of my good friends and collaborators, but that's not nearly enough of an introduction. So Ken, could you share a little bit about where you started, who you are, Estes Construction, and let people know a little bit about your background and why we're talking?
1: Well, certainly, Shannon. Estes Construction was founded in 1970 by my uncle, Jim Estes, and he and my aunt grew the company through its fledgling years. I joined the company in the mid-80s. And took the company over in 2003. Since then, we've been on a pretty good growth track. My aunt and uncle were great at giving me tremendous business values and a good foundation. We've grown the company a lot. As of last week, we just completed our fourth acquisition. We have four different construction companies, including Estes, which is the largest, and we have an architectural firm. Our total revenues have gone in the last eight years from about 35 or 40 million to this year, it will be probably somewhere around 250 million. So we've had pretty substantial growth. And one of the amazing things about our leadership is we've been able to do that while achieving top quartile results, or in other words, what we call in our industry best-in-class results. And this will be our 14th. We just finished our 14th consecutive year. Wow! So we've grown exponentially. And I must say part of the reason we've grown at least the last seven years there's really things I've learned at Coach from Dan Sullivan and things working with you as well, Shannon, and how you've worked with our team. So when I joined Coach eight years ago, we were doing maybe about 35 or $40 million, and I, I didn't have any more time. I was working a lot of hours, and what Coach taught me was a different way to think and how to create leverage. And so those tools and techniques and working with you and working with Dan Sullivan as he's evolved them have really... Been a great testimony, demonstrated through how we've grown and the success we've achieved. And so today, today we're in the process of developing other leadership tiers in each one of those companies. And as you know, you work with a group of seven in Estes. It's just exciting to see how well these tools work and these concepts work. Personally, I've become a great fan of, you know, one of my three unique abilities is talent development, leadership development. And so it's exciting to be here today and talk about that.
0: Oh, good. We have so much to talk about. <laughs> I'm thrilled. Well, first of all, congratulations on your success. I mean, I think when you get both quality and quantity in terms of results, those two things are sometimes at opposite ends. You may understand the positive side of both sides of that continuum is, is pretty powerful. So congrats. Thank That's you. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I've had the pleasure of working with your teams, different levels of leadership, and it's been amazing to see them grow. And one of the kind of fun things in construction is Some of the stereotypes are true. It's rough and tumble. It's pretty direct. And people are, you know, not necessarily rugged individuals, but they've been trained to be very capable on their own. And one of the things that has just impressed me is the culture that you create so that people want to grow beyond that and into higher and higher levels than they probably ever actually envision for themselves. And they start kind of like you probably saw a bigger future for yourself through the thinking process at Coach. And they get to see a bigger future for themselves as a result of hanging out with you and your direct coaching and mentoring. So we're going to talk through some of those models. And by the way, Kent is one of those people that comes up with models. So this is part of where we get to do our little mind sinking thing, which is really fun. And we're going to talk about some of those today. So in advance, I thank you for sharing those. But before we get to that, I'd love for you to talk about your own leadership journey because I love hearing how you've grown. And because of that, you have been able to share your experience. I mean, there's this term, I think it's called humble leader or something like that. And, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit, anyway, you're just so clear and direct and open about your own learning process and development. So I'd love it if you would share that because it's educated me and kept me from making a few mistakes. And I think it would probably help other people as well. So I think you know the story I'm talking about.
1: I surely do. When I came out of college, I was a two-sport athlete and it was all about how hard you could work. And that became a one-to-one proportion to your success. And then I went into construction and, and in the early part of your construction career, a lot of your success is attributed to the fact you work hard and you drive people hard and certainly in the early 80s that was the case you know that was the management mindset is you push hard you drive hard and so that's how i spent the early part of my career and then in the early 90s my aunt and uncle through their foresight wanted to work on some succession planning with me so i underwent some assessments and i was working with an industrial psychologist who was really, what she told me was a game changer for me. And I remember it was a series of assessments and then there was a role playing and you were videotaped. And so we're debriefing. And I, of course, you know, was I thought I'd really done this really well because I'd done it the way I'd always done things. You know, I had a difficult employee and I'd managed her and told her what she needed to do and didn't empathize with her. and I had control. So the irony (laughs) in that was she said, well, okay. She said, so you think you did well? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, let's talk about that. So we started talking about that, and it was clear I didn't, and then she started talking about the fact that she said, well, here's your personality profile. You're a field marshal in Myers-Briggs terms, and she said, I bet if I ask you to achieve a task, you'll achieve that task, and I said, absolutely, and she said, well, I bet if I put a flag on top of that hill and ask you to take that hill, you would take that hill, and I said, absolutely. And she said, nah, "I bet if you had to burn some people out or crawl over the top of some people to get that accomplished, you'd do that." And I said, "Absolutely." And she paused and she looked at me and she said, "What about the next hill?" I was like, "You didn't tell me there was another hill." <laughs> <laughs> well, the point was very poignant, and it started me to think about the fact in the old saying, "What got you here isn't going to get you there." And I realized I had some real things to begin to change in my leadership style. And that became my journey. And that was in 1992. And I've had a couple of subsequent sessions with her. And since then, it really, I've become a self learner in a lot of ways and from talking to a lot of people and friends and people like you and other people. So that's been my journey.
0: I love it. Well, and part of why I wanted you to share that is because I. Represent that remark. <laughs> not a field marshal, but I definitely have that driver influencing, fast paced, let's dominate. And, you know, a lot of our strategic coach clients fall into exactly that. And knowing how to not just take the first hill, but the second, third, hundredth, hundred and fiftieth with a team that can come along with you, not just bodies you're crawling over, <laughs> as you put yep. it. That was pretty eloquent. It is a mind shift. And if we're not careful, we actually could be raising people in our system to be just like us, other field marshals. And frankly, there's after a while, you just run out of warm bodies. So I think it's a pretty profound mind shift that you've talked about that a lot of people I know can relate to. So If this is you as you're listening, I hope your ears have perked up on this. You know, I said that we would probably talk about profiles because I can't not, because I know this is part of how you and I have worked together. But just for fun, what are some of the profiles that you find really useful or instrumental in helping your leadership team grow? I mean, we'll go into more of your process in just a moment, but it was useful in your own insight into yourself. And then I know you also believe in that for your team too.
1: We now use, as you know, three key, assessments for both individual self-awareness and team building. And the first is finder. And we really work with people to use Gallup StrengthsFinder and Instrument to understand their strengths and, more importantly, understand when their strengths might betray them. And that's a concept Gallup doesn't talk much about. I've talked to some of the Gallup people. So in other words, one of my strengths is I'm an achiever. Well, what does that mean? when can it betray me? If I'm not achieving, I'm probably not very happy. And that's when I tend to maybe not be at my best. So we train and develop around utilizing your strengths and understanding when they will serve you well and when they might betray you. Now, the second thing was when I joined coach, one of the things that you do is Colby. We use that a lot to understand how people approach things, how they strive, and then help other teams understand how they might best work together. And that was like finding a goldmine for us because we have some people who are high quick starts and low fact finders and low follow through. And we have some people who are just the opposite of that and they would butt heads. And once they understood from the Colby that that actually was a good thing and once they understood that that was a natural tension, the teams have really taken off with that understanding. And then recently you introduced us this summer to print. You know, it is a great tool because we learn when we're at our best self and when we're at our shadow self. Well, I believe with our team of 11 that took that, they knew both of those things. What they didn't know or realize were the triggers that caused them to move from their best self to their shadow self. And more importantly, what we shared and put in a big matrix was everyone's print, and everyone now understands each other's triggers. So the idea is not to walk around and accidentally. <laughs> trigger someone to go from their best behavior to their shadow. So those are the three assessments that we use and how we use them for our leadership team.
0: That's fabulous. Thank you. So print is amazing. It's something that was actually developed by Paul Hertz and his wife and brilliant business partner. And then also Adrian Duffy, who's one of our coaches, and he has helped develop that tool and bring it to us, to strategic coach clients, which is really cool. And the report you get back is the why of you. And as you've said, knowing your best self and then your triggers to get you to your shadow self and my other insight from getting certified this fall, which was fabulous, was that any best self-behavior, not unlike what you said about StrengthsFinder, taken to an extreme becomes a shadow. And that was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. It's not the opposite. It's actually it taken to an extreme, just as you described your achiever. And what's fun, and this is just a little interesting thing, I was when I was looking at our StrengthsFinder and Colby results together... I was reminded that you and I share three of the same of the top five and Maximizer and Strategic are the same one and two, which is unusual to find someone who has your same top two. So that explains why we're in such good teamwork all the time, <laughs> which I really love. Now, again, before we get into some of the processes that you've developed for your team, you also, you spend a lot of time and funds and resources investing in the leadership of your team. Why is developing your team become such a, Critical thing for you. There's lots of ways to grow a company, and you chose this particular route. Tell me about that.
1: It's again an evolution. You know, as we started down the growth path, I realized first I had to do some things differently, whether it was my leadership style, as I narrated earlier, or whether it was some of the early sessions at Coach where you start to realize you can't just work more hours. You know, it's not a one to one thing. So, the first evolution in my leadership style was I, I had to lean on our vice presidents at Estes. And if we were going to grow, they had to do more. I, I had to leverage them. And I learned to leverage them and then worked with them to leverage another layer down, which now we call our director layer. Now we've grown so much at Estes that there are seven of those directors. Um, you've worked a lot with them. So the only way to grow is to be able to leverage and work through others. And you know, Coach now, Dan has a topic of who, not how. You know, That's a fairly new concept or construct, but it's all about if you want to grow, it's who can we leverage, who can do this, and not how do I do it. And I think that's where we're now working down with this director level. And we're working in two ways. One of them is an idea that you planted with me, and is a statement you said maybe four or five years ago about leadership. And your statement was, people only trust you to the extent you know yourself. Or others only trust you to the extent you know yourself. And that, as you and I have talked, that is a very important concept because if you don't know yourself well and how you're going to react well, which is where the assessments come into play, then you're going to react undependably in front of others. And then they get tentative and they hold back or they don't tell you things. So that whole idea about learning about yourself and how you lead and how you can lead better actually became the platform of our four levels of leadership that we developed last year as this whole self-awareness, self-assessment, self-actualization that's so important if you're going to continue to grow and develop. And so we work on that with everyone in our company. And as people move up from the entry level into managing level, we call those managing leaders. If you manage one or more of one, then that's where you have to work on how do I lead others? So now I know about myself. How do I lead others? And then the third level is the operational leaders, which is how do I lead teams? The idea there becomes the whole basis of this is, okay, we have to develop others if we're going to have growth. We have to learn to work through others. But the only way we can really do that is if we know ourselves and likewise help them to know themselves.
0: Thank you. You know, as you go through life, you try and figure out a few maxims for yourself. And so far, that's about the main one. (laughs) And part of it is I only trust people, other people, to the degree that I think they know themselves. So know thyself is a little bit of the, you know, we've had entire workshops where that's a section of the day, which is kind of fun. So I really love this model, Kent, of Learn, lead, advance, because you actually give people a growth path from everyday leaders to managing leaders to operational leaders to visionary leaders, which is, you know, the highest level to aspire to. But it starts with you. You can't just have the aspiration or the ambition to get to visionary unless you really own what you're up to. And and the who, not how is so great because it helps helps you figure out who the right who is. It's going to start sounding like a Dr. Seuss book in a moment. But, you know, you get to say, okay, well, I need someone who's really good at fact-finding and following through. Or I need someone who's really great at innovating, so I need a quick start. So those tools also give you the confidence to be able to make sure you're choosing the right who are or engaging them or motivating them in in a way that's engaging for them. I like how you talk about self, others, team, and company. So talk just a little bit more about the path Of what people, like if someone comes into Estes or one of your other companies, you actually lay this out for them, I think, don't you?
1: We really have two things we do. This is one. This is really our leadership development program. So in other words, if you're in any department, it doesn't matter. You go through this leadership footprint of first learning about yourself and being an every, we call it an everyday leader. And then secondly, if you want to manage, we sort of pick out who the people are that can manage. And when you get promoted to managing leaders, you go through another pathway of training on how to manage others. We've developed this idea of the training around managing others, both twofold. How do I lead and inspire them? And how do I manage them? Leading someone and inspiring them is really around the relationship you have with them. So we teach them about building the relationship. But yet, management is really around execution within systems. And sometimes what we have to remember, and we train this in them, or we we introduce this concept to them, is you have to keep those in balance. You can't just execute at the expense of a relationship. That's the old field marshal model. You can't do that. So we work hard with them to understand that concept is you have to work with people, get to know them, have a relationship with them, and also manage them. And some days, it's like a justice scale. You don't (laughs) want to get tipped out of balance. And then the third level is when they move up and they're really managing divisions or departments, and that's the operational leaders. Those are the people that are going to take over our companies and work with them. And we work with them two ways. We work with them both what I call vertically and horizontally. Now, what do I mean by that is we work with them and you've been a key part of a lot of this. We work with them on how they can learn to lead their departments and groups of people and teams of people. And yet, In this example, with us, the seven directors each have a department they have to run. And so they have numerous people in those departments. So that would be how they would do that. But as importantly, the seven directors have to work together to run the company. So that's the horizontal piece compared to the vertical piece of their department. And they have to learn to work together as a team of peers. And as you know, that's not easy to do when you're a team of peers And, you know, the things that you've worked with us and them on about how do you manage conflict and you don't all have to have consensus and, you know, those kind of things. But yet you all have to, you know, drive what's best for the company and know when to back away from things. And so that's a a really important blend if you're going to have a high performing company is those groups of people not only have to be able to work vertically, they have to work horizontally as a team. And that's where I'm pretty excited because ours have been so successful at that. And we've raised them into that mindset that they know that now. And then the last level of visionary leaders, which are the shareholders, the four shareholders of the companies. That's really who sets kind of the vision for where things go.
0: Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is on your visionary leadership team, it's quite a diverse group in terms of. Skills and talents and Colby profiles. So it's not like it's a homogeneous, everyone's a clone of one another. You're actually quite diverse, which is kind of fun. Right. I just want to really highlight some of the distinctions and things that people have to keep in balance. I love the distinction between relationship and execution. And what's interesting is we know from different strengths profiles like StrengthsFinder that some people have, they lean towards execution or they lean towards relationship. So it means that we're kind of equipped. There are some strengths we can develop in one particular direction, but it doesn't mean you get to let go or just drop the other part. Right. And you've got people on both sides of that. So they get to learn from one another and you're so clear and you coach to that every day. It's not just something to pay lip service to, it's the real deal.
1: Well, you know, and here could be a good example, if I may. Yeah. You know, and I'll use my own example because I know it well and I talk about it. When I look across my five strengths, I have three in execution, one in strategy, and one I don't have is relationship. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I one in strategy and one and i'm I'm drawing a blank now in the other area influencing thank you influencing and so what I talk to them about is look you need to know yourself and I don't have any of my top five in relationships well Michelle who's our CFO who's one of our other visionary leaders she has three of her five in relationships so I know I need to bounce ideas off her about what it might do to affect people's feelings or a relationship and She's got really good intuition if I'm thinking of doing something, and she'll come to me also and say, you know, you need to think about it this way. So that's a really good example of both self-awareness, and I know I don't have that, you know, that's not my top five, it's not my first inclination, as well as the way we try to complement each other and also challenge each other knowing that.
0: Well, I love it. And, and that to me is a really high level of teamwork when you can know yourself and go, okay, I know this isn't my strength, but I know someone for whom it is a strength. I'm willing to be open and to be coached or include their thinking in my, you know, so I can get to a better final conclusion that's going to be more successful. So it means that the end result that you're after is way more important than your ego, which is it's fun. We've been collaborating. One of the things I'm excited about, and so are you, is this book that a brilliant client introduced me to called No Ego by Cy Wakeman. And I'll be interviewing her pretty soon too, which I'm excited about. But the whole thing is like, how can we transcend that into what actually matters? What's the reality? How can we include everyone's best input to get that result we're after? And that's really the way to success, which gets me really excited.
1: One last thing. I think one of the hardest things for CEOs or certainly entrepreneurs to know is to realize when they get to the tipping point, that there are people in their organization that know a lot better than they do about things. Uh-huh. And they have maybe better intuition and how do they stay in their lane? And, you know, that's a really tough tipping point. And recently, I was it was brought home to me. We've been hiring two and three college graduates a year in our, tra- in our engineering program, about three. And I was asked by the group you work with, by organizational leaders, do you want to interview some of those? And I said, no, I'm not a good interviewer. You know, the 20-some people I hired here years ago as we grew, none of them work in the company today. So (laughs) I said, I'm happy to come in and tell them what it's like to work here and kind of give them a a welcome and a presentation, but I have no business interviewing. And that kind of caught them off guard that I, I made that point and said, no, I have no ability to do that or desire. And so I think that's the value of having a team of people around you, understanding what their strengths are And then recognizing that and staying out of their lanes.
0: I love it. It's always fun when you surprise people by going, no, I, I don't have any business doing that. That's It's actually quite refreshing for a leader to say that. The other thing that you talked about was the fact that your leaders need to work horizontally as well as vertically. And I think that's another pivot point for a lot of people in their thinking and in their growth as leaders is everyone really wants to get good at and they take training for how to manage their team and how to do a really great job of that. And I think one of the things that gets forgotten sometimes is at that leadership level, you do have to be able to work really, really well with your peers and not just try and win something for your team, but how are you going to collaboratively work and know one another well, not trigger one another, collaborate for the best possible result. And that's something that is not sometimes the first thing that people think about when they think about becoming a manager. They're like, I just want to do a good job with my team, but now I have to do what? I have to work with who? I think your focus on that is quite insightful.
1: You know, one of the insights I had, I read, there's a book by Phil Jackson called 11 Rings. And Phil Jackson, of course, was, you know, the most successful basketball coach ever with the Bulls and the Lakers. And and it's not a basketball book. It's a leadership book. And in there, he talks about his high functioning teams when they won all these championships and how they got to, you know, what you know and I know to be level five functioning, which is the highest level you can function at as a team and it started me to think about how do you bring that into business how do you bring those kind of analogies and get people really working where they're they're really focused on the outcome and the winning well not for the sake of winning but more for the sake of going through the process and working the process and trusting the process and trusting each other you know it takes a long time to build trust uh-huh. so how do you begin to build trust with each other well it goes back to how well they know themselves and react in the groups. But that concept really intrigued me as a way that if we're going to succeed, we have to have high performing teams.
0: Mm -hmm. And you do. I mean, there's no way you would have grown, you know, that exponentially without that kind of focus. So you had an insight about your overall company that I found really amazing. And that is that really the almost the purpose of your company now is leadership development. Mm -hmm. It just happens to have a specialty in construction. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Can you talk I about- just
1: said that to Dan Sullivan yesterday. I said, you know, we have become a leadership development company that happens to build buildings or does construction. And it's how we think about everything, you know, because at the end of the day, it's all about people, right? We're a service business. Uh-huh. Most businesses are. Years ago, I read a, the book, The Fifth Discipline, which is, if you're familiar with this, you know, it's a rigorous read. It's like a textbook. And the one concept that I embraced from that rigorous read was the idea that the only competitive advantage we can have is to outlearn our competition. Mm -hmm. And I have seen and lived that. It's the only competitive advantage. And the only way we can outlearn them is to instill in people the desire to want to continually self-develop or self-transform. You got to get to the state of self-transformation. So that's really what we try to instill in our company and leadership development and personal development as well. So in addition to leadership development, we have individual development tracks where for the five levels of the company, we call it PE, which is project engineer. It's the first level, the president. And each one of those levels, you work less on your technical skills and more on your people skills because we know as the old saying goes, you know, you get hired and promoted for your technical skills, but you get fired and and removed because your people skills or your leadership skills. So individually, we work on their development with that as well, too. So that's both leadership and an individual talent development. That's really what we've become.
0: Is there a particular person that comes to mind who has progressed and made that shift in thinking? I mean, I'm sure some people get plateaued at certain points, but is there anyone that comes to mind as you think about, you're just really thrilled with how much you've seen them get to know themselves, develop that self-awareness, and operate at a much higher level than perhaps they thought possible at the beginning?
1: Well, I'll use Michelle, our CFO, who's one of our four shareholders. She started with our company as a receptionist out of court reporting school at 19 years old. Wow. We were a lot smaller then. You know, this is she's now been with the company 30 years. So we had a tuition reimbursement program. She worked her way through and got her accounting degree, her BA in accounting degree. And then when I took the company over, I said, you know, Michelle, you need an MBA, not because of the analytics, but because you need to have something I don't have you know, you just need to have that for your self-confidence. So she got her MBA and she has grown, you know, from being the controller when we were 20 or 25 million. My Aunt Lori also trained her in some of the fundamentals of construction accounting. From 25 million to now at 250 million, she really is kind of the CEO of the enterprise. Uh-huh. The other day, she and I were just talking about, okay, if we're going to go to 300, what do I have to do, Kent has to do as a CEO, and what does she have to do? You know, we call it or 3.0 how do we remake ourselves (laughs) one of the things i'm doing is i've shared with you in my emails i'm going to join game changer because i think that's one of the things i have to do to raise my game Uh michelle is a great example we have a lot of other people i could give you 10 of those examples you know i won't but she's probably one of the best and right now in our director level we have four or five people out of those seven that are just on fire and doing really good things Uh so it's fun to see that
0: Well, from receptionist to COO is pretty dramatic.
1: (laughs) And a company that's grown eightfold in about nine or 10 years. And she has been on top of that every step of the way. So she's moved through a lot of ceilings of complexity.
0: Yeah. And Michelle is also an incredibly calm, quiet human being. If you're not paying attention, you could be completely taken by surprise by just how capable and powerful she is, but she doesn't wield it with any force. She's just a quiet, dominating force is how I like to think about her. She's lovely.
1: Yep. Yep. That's a good analysis. One of the things she had to learn as part of her leadership development was that she would sit and take everything in a meeting and sort of mull it. And And about four years ago or five, I said, Michelle, you can't do that anymore you have to acknowledge people. You have to engage in the meeting. And I know your style is you want to take it all in and think about it, but they're looking for some comment. Now, you don't have to have the answers. You can say, look, here's what I heard. Let me think about it. But you have to have some level of engagement. And boy, does she engage now. (laughs) And in all the right ways, you know, I mean, she gives people feedback and she'll challenge them in good ways and things like that, but in a very unassuming way that isn't threatening to them. It was funny, not long ago, I had talked to her maybe two years ago about really kind of stepping up and challenging me in some areas. And she was giving me a really hard time in one of our sharehold meetings and and kind of about, you need to do this and you need to do that. And I said, wow, I see you have found your voice, Michelle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, did I ask for that? (laughs) I think you have
1: found your voice in that, which is exactly what we need. But anyhow. Did she love that? Oh, yeah. She smiled and had a good shot. We've had a good laugh since then about that.
0: Oh, that's so fun. And that's a great example. And I like that you you know, that's one of 10 or 15 that you could just immediately think of. And that's kind of my challenge. It's like how to create a company in which everyone's growing. And what I'm really impressed with you is that you create a path. And the bigger you get, the probably easier it is to outline that path, right? Because there are more steps. And you can see there is a path that successful people have taken. So you can replicate that. Now, one of the things that you came up with, which impressed the heck out of me, is your mindset gauge. And we talk a lot about mindset in coach. And I'd love to move to that for just a moment. And by the way, when Kent creates a model, he also laminates it and carries it around with him. So. I love that you like, these are things that you can see and that are posted and are available to people. So let's talk a little bit about the mindset gauge, because I think this is key. And and before people can make a change in behavior, they need to know how they're thinking about something. So why did you bring that in and how has it been useful?
1: I will. And let me offer a little context, if I may. Please. We had created what we call our pathway to a remarkable company. And we have a graphic for that. And it's called the Estes Way. And there are four quadrants. In the upper right quadrant is dynamic people. In the lower right quadrant is inspiring culture. Lower left is great client experience. Upper left is successful outcomes. And in the center is remarkable company with our four values around it. So the way we narrate that is dynamic people create an inspiring culture that delivers a great client experience. If we do those three things right, we'll get successful outcomes. Now, why that's an important preface is – We've had so much growth that three years ago, we really wanted to define what it meant to be a dynamic person. What does that really mean at our company? One of the things that became so important was at the time we were talking about, you know, mindsets at Coach. It was a new concept at Coach. And we were talking about the value of the mindset. And it really resonates because one of the things I've believed for a long time is the only thing that you can choose is your attitude. Mm. The only thing we get to choose is our attitude. We don't get to choose what things come to us. We can only choose how we react, and our attitude affects how we react. And really, your attitude is all about your mindset. So the coach concept resonated with me a lot. So we created eight mindsets that we think were critical to be successful at Estes. They're around in a circular shape. And then we defined, we had teams of people define what each mindset meant. And then we did some training. We did nine hours of in-classroom training for 80 people in management about what each of those mindsets meant. So it was a big investment. And then, and then on the flip side of that chart, as you know, there's a scorecard for you can measure your own mindset that we created. And you can walk around our office and you see those things posted a lot around in people's work areas. And we talk a lot about that when their mindset is impacting their performance or when their mindset might impact their decision or what the right mindset is. So that's how we've taken that and it's how it fits within our context of what it means to be part of the S this way and a dynamic person.
0: So let me ask you a question about this. I have inside Intel here. So I have the gauge, (laughs) the mindset scorecard in front of me. So one of yours is relationship, which is, is great. And then the contrast from negative to positive. Negative is I am unfriendly and don't trust others. I love how direct that is. And then positive, I build relationships and trust with others. You know, so I build relationships and trust. And the scale is one to five. Now, question is, do people score themselves honestly, like, on the lower end? Do you find that people do interact with this in a very authentic way? Or do they try and go, oh, I'm sure they're going to want me to be a four? What's your experience? I
1: think the way I see him using that is kind of interesting. And it's more about an assessment of where they are at a moment in time. For example, let's say a client has just called me, and if I'm a project manager, a client has just called me and is upset that something isn't happening the way he thought it should happen. And in that moment, I might say, you know, I don't care about the client, I just got to get through this thing. But then be able to look at that scorecard and realize, well, that's not really the right way where I should be. I should be moved more over there. I've heard stories of people using the scorecard more to kind of get a quick assessment of where they are and realize they're not where they need to be.
0: So they don't look at it as necessarily a static thing. That's awesome. So they use it as a coaching tool, really, for themselves.
1: They use it as a coaching and a self-assessment. And one of our directors, Eric, you know, Eric White, As you know, he has really used that, particularly in performance management systems, where he's had to go in and coach someone who maybe isn't performing the best to talk about where's their mindsets and how are they thinking about things and to use the scorecard to even illustrate here's more of the behavior you're demonstrating. You're not really working on relationships. You're not thinking about this. So it's become a really good coaching tool as well as a tool for self-assessment.
0: I love it. I, in fact, I want to use it for me <laughs> and coach. I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> I love it. Could you mind if I share the mindsets? Because I just think they're so No, please useful. do. Yeah. And what's your definition of R&D?
1: Rob and duplicate. So you, anyone can rob <laughs> and duplicate this. It's R&D work in construction, of course.
0: Of course. And please give credit where it's due. So relational, positivity, and learner are really the end in mind set of mindsets and attitudes. Collaboration, which is collaborative, reliability, and innovative. And I'm just going to share this one because it struck me. The negative side of that is I lack creativity and value traditional thinking versus I make changes by introducing new methods and ideas. And one of the things I've become aware of, again, Cy Wakeman kind of highlighted this for me, you can no longer afford in our rapidly adaptive world to hang on to old methods, especially just because you want to. Just being open and resilient and confident and capable in the face of that is extra important. So we don't get to hang on to old mindsets or old ways of doing things. So that struck me today. And then your two leadership attitudes or mindsets are grit and ownership. So really great core things and not too many very doable in terms of assessing yourself so relational positivity learner collaborative reliability innovative grit and ownership so you can riff off those if you're looking to create your own (laughs) own mindset scorecard which i think would be awesome so this is fasting and core values is really important to estes and to how you grow people within your team Is there anyone who's no longer on the team because they could not share or live up to those values?
1: Oh, yeah, there are, you know, especially when you have growth. We don't have a lot of turnover because we try to develop people. But we've had people who have come on board and who just have made the choice. Our performance management system is around those four values, as you know, and we have 11 competencies. So everything is driven around in these 11 competencies of how you demonstrate those four values. And we've had people who have made a choice not to want to take corrective action. Or we've also had people who've said, you know, we had one guy that had been with the company 10 years, and he'd been a good performer, but the level of complexity had changed. And he said, you know, maybe it's time for me to move on. And he went and got a different job. He's a good guy. He's done good work for our company. But he just, bless his heart, he realized that. And of course, we were trying to help him realize that. But it was his choice. He left here with dignity. And he's in a place now where he really likes it and the role he's in. So you have sort of two examples of those at each end. One of them is where someone makes a choice just not to change. Another one realizes the cheese has moved beyond them. Mm -hmm. They can't keep up anymore. So that's how we try to work with people. But we don't have a lot of turnover, even given those two examples.
0: That's amazing. So the other question I'd like to ask, because I think we can learn from other people's successes, but I think it's just as easy to learn from the challenges. So... You guys have some big goals sometimes, and sometimes the team has been like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to pull that off? And you've given some great coaching to them as to how to think about taking that on. Can you share that? Because I know that it's people can get trapped in thinking that they're not up to the task, and you had a different perspective for them.
1: Without using too many numbers, here's a good example. The last two years, we've been working on this team of seven directors to drive Estes. Last year, Last year, meaning 17, I introduced them to the whole company and its performance. And they'd really seen some things at about midway through the year. And then the year we just finished at 18, we said, we're going to start early. And so I also cautioned them that I said, we use a forecast for how we're going to finish the year. We, were like, we treat ourselves like a public company. We plan our revenue. We forecast. And it's one of the ways we drive outcomes. So we started on the forecast. And if you went, looked at the first quarter, the company was in the red and we were no, a long ways away from achieving the goal that we wanted to have for the end of the year. And I warned him about that. I said, look, you got to believe in yourselves. I've done this enough now at enough levels. You just keep working the process. So we got to the middle of the year, June, and we were all of a sudden, just in three months, about halfway there. And some things had come on board. They kept working the process. They were driving some key initiatives. And we got to September. And now it looks like we're going to make in September, at the end of September, we were going to make maybe 85 or 90% of what our goal was, which is a pretty heady goal for net margin. Lo and behold, they don't know this yet, but we just beat the goal by 10%. So we won 110% of the goal. So my message on Monday to the seven directors is going to be, look, here's the chronology. I've got the numbers from Michelle. Here's where it was, what I just said. And here's how you got to believe in yourself and both working together. You guys drove this. The officers didn't drive it. They drove this. Now, Michelle helped them, but the last two years they've driven. This year, they drove it the whole year. It's a great example of, you know, believe in yourself, work the process, lead others well, and you'll achieve better than you might have thought you could.
0: Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And again, your company is not shy about setting big, heady goals, as you said. (laughs) So that's often a challenge. But you had the great coaching, and they had the receptivity and capability to do that. So as a team, what are you looking forward to? What are you excited about growing?
1: Well, as you know, we just made a new acquisition, which is another company. and, And we leave that company in place. And it has two principals who have two years left. So we have to replace... Them and groom them. I think one will stay and I think one will go in two years. And there's some great synergies that companies down in St. Louis and Kansas City, and we can bring it up into Iowa. We can use it to leverage Estes down into Missouri and Kansas. So the ability to do that, number one. Number two, we opened an office in the central part of the state two years ago, and we're having some pretty significant success there. Eric White's in charge of that, and we're really excited about how that's growing and we're turning some heads there. So, and then the third thing is just leadership and talent development. You know, it's going to be interesting because one of the things we try to tell people is don't look at the organizational chart and wonder if there's going to be a place for you. Because two years ago, this organizational chart didn't exist. (laughs) Two years prior to that, that organizational chart didn't exist. You just keep driving and doing the right things and we'll create a place for you in one of the companies. So it's going to be fun to see how all that unfolds. But we have a lot of people growing very quickly and I'm excited about that and what that holds. And, you know, now you just sit back and coach it. But what's fun for me is I meet now with, I have 21 quarterly meetings because I'm so interested in how people are learning. We have 11 people in our project engineer training program that are right out of college. I meet with them quarterly because I want to know how they're learning. They don't report to me. I meet with our directors quarterly. I want to know how they're developing. And then I meet with the five direct reports I have. But you know, it's all about, we drip, drip, drip this water. It's all about learning and development. And that's one of the things my aunt and uncle believed in. But it also resonates with what I said earlier about the fifth discipline. The only competitive advantage we can have is to outlearn our competition. Uh So if we aren't learning, we're falling behind.
0: Uh That's fascinating. And I think that your team is picking up, well, has picked up that passion for learning. Well, they don't get to not do that. (laughs) It's part of your culture. It's not, a, it's not an option. <laughs> Resistance is futile. for that
1: one. You know, Shannon, there's an interesting tool we created. and I haven't had a chance to show this to you. Oh, I guess maybe we talked about this in June when you've worked with them. But one of the things that's been really helpful for them, and now we're rolling this down to the next level, to the managing leader level, is this idea of complexity, right? And mm-hmm. we all are faced with complex situations. So... We conceive this idea that when someone opens a conversation, we want them to have their own thinking framed around, where is your head? So if I'm in a situation, where is my head? Am I feeling confident about this or not? So much less when I communicate it with someone. So we've identified now three levels of complexity. The first level is called, I got it. So in other words, we've all been in situations that we've approached where we felt confident about it, we knew what to do, we felt good about it, that would be a level one. I got it. That helps me self-identify where my own psyche is in this. And more importantly, when someone comes into my office or when a managing leader goes into an operational leader's office, they can say, look, I got a level one for you. What a level one means in that case is this is just informational. So in other words, if one of the directors comes in and says, I have a level one, I pretty much am not supposed to say anything. I have no right to say anything. They're giving me the courtesy of information. Now, the next level is level two, which is they first self-assess. And we've all been in these where, you know, I'm not quite sure. I've been thinking about it this way, or I might approach it that way, and I'm not quite sure. So that helps them frame that. And then they have to decide, okay, what do I do now? Are there other resources I need? Who do I need to bounce this idea on? Who else do I want input from? those things. Or if they, for example, come into my office and say, I got a level two. Now it's instantly clear why they're in my office and they'll talk about the level two. And I might respond like this. I might say, well, have you thought about this? Or have you talked to so-and-so they've been through this? So that idea does two things. It adds real speed and clarity to that conversation and why they're there. It adds to them real speed and clarity. Where is their thinking? So level two is important. And then the last level, of course, is level three. <laughs> and we, the way we have level three is I have no idea. <laughs> and I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue. And we like that because first off, you know, one of the important things we all have to learn is that when we're in space where we have no clue, they have to get their head around it and admit they have no clue. And then someone comes in and says they have no clue. My job isn't to solve the problem for them or tell them the answer. Because what we're trying to do is teach people how to think, not be order takers. So I might say, well, how could you think about this? Or maybe, you know, John has been through this situation. Maybe you should talk to John. He might have some ideas for you. You're really trying to consult on what resources are out there, how they might frame their thinking, what their options might be, and that kind of thing. So those three levels have really helped people get clarity around where they are, because we don't always know that when we're in situations. And then likewise, when they're communicating with others, instantly when someone walks in to have a conversation and they say, I have a level this, a level one or two or three, man, you don't waste any time trying to figure out where they are, or where you should be.
0: I love that. And that is such an incredible practical takeaway, Kent. So thank you so much for sharing it. And I remember this because we have chatted about it briefly. And I love it. I mean, there's something just so freeing to be able to say, hey, I got this, just want to let you know. Or I'm not quite sure, let me bounce this off you to make sure I'm on the right track. Or frankly, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing here. And There's such permission. So underlying so much of what you've talked about is the culture of openness, growth, learning, not standing on position, not standing on past performance, really how do you grow into something? And sometimes that means admitting I have no flipping idea. I like that.
1: To your point, we try to tell and train people that, look, it's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness to raise your hand and say, I don't know, or I'm overwhelmed, or I don't know how to approach this, because that says you know where you are. Mm -hmm. And don't kid yourself. It will only add to your anxiety if you continue to try to muddle your way through those situations. So if we talk just that directly, it's a sign of strength to say any one of those things and then go collaborate and get help, not a sign of weakness. That's at the foundation of what we try to do.
0: Well, I love it. And again, it actually, as you were saying, I'm like, oh, that's another way of knowing yourself, knowing where you're at. So, one of the things that strikes me, Kent, as we start to wrap up, is that you just give people so many tools and ways of talking about things. Be it, you know, here's my Colby profile, or here's my strengths finder, or here's my level of complexity right now, or this is where I'm at with this particular mindset. You know, I'm realizing I'm not feeling particularly relational at the moment. (laughs) I might need some help with that. You give people all of these tools. It could be in the form of language, questions, what have you, so that they can, in fact, be in teamwork and collaboration and partnership rather than stuck in position or ego or any of those other things that people get trapped into. So that impresses me because I think that's kind of the framework. You know, that's the infrastructure that allows people to grow and allows people to actually expand into what's possible for themselves. And I know that most people graduating college or starting at a company had no idea that they could actually hear the levels you could go up to and presidents at the top a lot of people, they're ambitious, but not to that degree. So the fact that you've created that infrastructure that's so clear, one of the things that's almost always missing in most entrepreneurial corporations or companies is actually what is the growth path. And the fact that you've put layers around that, you invest in training, you invest in time, you create models, you use profiles, is kind of outstanding in my world. I don't see that very often. And even if someone does it at the most bare bones level from what you've talked about. There's so many takeaways from our conversation today. So last thing, any piece of advice if someone has been that kind of rugged individual field marshal (laughs) and they're looking to kind of develop themselves, develop their teams, create a more of a leadership development capability within their organization, what are some initial first steps that you would recommend for people?
1: Well, that's a great question. And if there's a metaphor, crawl, walk, run that we use a lot, and we're really running at this stage. So first off, don't be intimidated that you have to try to create all these things out at once. So I think the first question is, how do you start to crawl? How do you start to both change yourself or your leadership? How do you begin to leverage others, get them to buy in? Coach has been a great place for me. You've been a great person to work with our teams. So my analogy there is find some other resources. First off, set your mindset that you want to do this and commit to it because it's all about mindset. I had to change my mindset. Some days that was easier than others until I learned those behaviors. So think about your mindset, change your mindset, start slowly, but ask other people who've been on the journey for their ideas and talk to your people. Be a little more open and transparent about what you want to do and see if they won't be part of that. So you're going to need help. You want leverage. The way you get leverage is either other people who've been through this journey other people outside like Coach or Shannon who can help you. So there's a lot of resources. But we learn these things as we go. There's no right or wrong. It's what works for you. But a lot of this is around our own mindsets and the limitations we create with our own mindsets and wanting to break through that.
0: I love it. Well, I cannot thank you enough because I feel like we've been able to pull together lots of things that you've shared with me over the years, models that you've bounced off me. And I have to say the levels of complexity, I think I need to have that on my whiteboard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's very cool. I'll scan it and send you the graphic we created with it.
0: Awesome. We have delegation levels, but this is really cool because it gives people that conversational structure to come in and the context is set immediately. And I think that's one of the things that slows slows business decisions down is we don't have the context and you just manage to set the context immediately. And that means you can move ahead. And since we're all after results that are faster, easier, cheaper, and bigger, better, it's an awesome way of doing that. Kent, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
1: You're you. You're welcome, Shannon. I've enjoyed it.
0: Thank you. And I love talking about leadership and I love collaborating. And I'm really excited because, again, too, I talk to lots of entrepreneurs and work with lots of teams. And you have one of the clearest and best structures and best ways of articulating of anyone I know. So I really appreciate sharing your expertise with other people and be willing to do that. So thank you for your partnership, as always. You're welcome. All right. So... Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know at questions@strategiccoach.com. I hope you've excited and got as many insights as I have from this conversation with Kent. And I'll talk to you next time on the next Team Success Podcast. Take care.